we think about the people who we admire, very often we admire the fact that they have clarity of purpose and that they are driven by what they care about and that they say no to everything that comes in the way of that. And I think that we all see that in others and admire that. And so it's time for us to start doing it for ourselves. This is Brand Story, a podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leaders, marketers, and brand storytellers about their professional journey and the impact they're making on the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. I'm your host, Steve Gilman, and my guest today is Vanessa Patrick. Vanessa is an Associate Dean of Research and a Professor of Marketing at University of Houston. She's also a Fulbright Specialist. She has published dozens of research articles in top-tier academic journals, and her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and the Washington Post, just to name a few. And Vanessa recently released her new book, The Power of Saying No. Vanessa, welcome to the program. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, your book is just full of brilliant advice on how to say no appropriately without like ruining relationships or risking your reputation. And... So it really is a super skill to say no appropriately, isn't it? It really is. And so many people struggle with that two-letter word. And I've found that just having a strategy and understanding how you should say no can just make saying no so much easier. And when you do say no well, you free up your time to do so many important things that you really care about. Yeah, I mean, it's really transformative to be able to get off the sort of gerbil wheel of just saying yes to everything. And it's sort of based in fear in some ways. And it's really difficult for people. And you write that people often say yes when they really want to say no. And I think everyone listening can probably relate to that. So can you talk us through why it's so hard? Absolutely. Uh, So the first part of the book is dedicated to unpacking this problem. Why do we say yes when we want to say no? And it turns out that no is what I call in the book a socially dispreferred response. And what that means is that when someone invites you to go somewhere or asks you to do something, essentially they want you to say yes. And so saying no is against that expectation. And we as human beings really struggle with that. We want to meet people's expectations. We want to do what other people do. And sometimes we do that to our detriment. So very often, just because you're asked, you feel compelled to say yes. And so many people I've spoken to over the years have said, I just wish I had said no to this, because if I had said no to this, I would be so much so much better off. Because when you do say yes, it should be a resounding yes. It should be a yes that you really want to engage in those things. And you should say no to everything else. The things that you don't want to do should definitely not be the things you spend your time doing. Yeah, I mean, yes is a really powerful word. It affects, there's so many second orders of consequence to saying yes. And when you say it too many times, you're overwhelmed, you know, you don't feel good about yourself or what you're doing. So this must have meant a lot to you, or you must have had a lot of personal experience to inform this book, because, you know, I can tell you're really passionate about it, and so much research went into this incredibly helpful book. And you began it with a personal anecdote of your 24th birthday. Can you tell me a little bit about that and a little bit of your motivation behind writing this book? Right. So they always say that research is very often me-search. And and in some ways, uh, I 
definitely related to this issue. Um, it started, the first time I actually thought about it and, and took this seriously was when I found myself in a situation that I wasn't very pleased about the outcome. Um, so I talk about this in the beginning of the book where I talk about this moment where I was really excited about going for my 24th birthday party. I had family and friends over and I got held back at work to do something absolutely trivial. So, you know, to be precise, my boss told me to wait for a fax. And it wasn't an important issue. It wasn't something that was earth shattering. And all I had to do was go to the fax machine after hours and hours of waiting and missing my party, essentially, go to the fax machine, pick the fax up and put it on her desk. And so that moment made me think about the number of times we get caught in these situations where we are spending our time doing extremely trivial things because we weren't empowered to push back in the moment, to think about it and think about what, what we want from the situation and what is appropriate in the situation. And so after that moment, I spent a lot of time thinking about myself and the importance of you know, building a greater ability to speak out for myself, to be able to uh, stand up for what I believed in and what I thought was right. And in many ways, that was a formative experience because it shaped uh, my academic career. It made me much more drawn to research that relates to positive psychology and the importance of well-being and happiness in whatever we do, especially at workplaces. Yeah, I think that's that's such a great anecdote because I think it's so relatable that you know when you don't say no to something that's an unreasonable request or one that just makes no sense, you often pay a very tangible price. You know, and one of the things that I love about your book that I want everyone listening to know is that you know when you think about the phrase "the power to say no," I think all of us go, "Ooh, is this a, is this negative? You know, is this like a negative book?" It's the most positive book. It's very empowering, and I think it really would help anyone that reads it because there's, there's so many demands on our time and attention, and without the ability to filter that for yourself, you end up doing things with your time, which is limited, that you really shouldn't be doing. So you talk about empowerment a lot, and what, what, do you do, what does an empowered no sound like? Can you give an example? Yes. So the, the core of my research is on this idea of empowered refusal. And an empowered no is a no that stems from your identity, that gives voice to your values, your priorities, your preferences, and your beliefs. So it is essentially a no that stems from who you are. So imagine you're at a party and you have decided that you are off desserts. You are watching your weight, managing your sugar, and you don't eat dessert anymore. Now you are at a party and someone offers you some chocolate cake. You could, for example, say, I'm really sorry, I can't eat cake. At which point, you know, you're going to get the inevitable question, why? And then you enter a negotiation about what's one piece of cake? And you know how that story goes. What my research shows is that if you have decided that you are not eating sugar, you are not going to eat cake, you need to 
be able to communicate that from a much more empowered standpoint. So you would say something like, I'm sorry, I don't eat cake. When you say I don't eat cake, it says I'm not a cake eating person. I'm the kind of person that doesn't eat cake. And you could apply this to absolutely any domain. I'm not the kind of person who skips the gym. I'm not the kind of person who takes on more than they can handle. I'm not the kind of person who takes the elevator when I can take the stairs. Whatever domain, once you implicate your identity, you become, you come across as much more empowered and you sound as if you have a much more stable stance. And quite importantly, you are in the driver's seat of your own life and no one pushes back against that. Yeah, it's really empowering. And I think it's, you know, it's about you. So you're not making it about the other person. You're not just flat out saying no. You're just stating what you do and what you don't and your preference. You can do it with a smile. There's no reason it's oh, not absolutely. confrontational. You know? In fact, that's the that's one of the competencies to be able to buffer your response with a lot of nonverbals, leaning forward, smiling, using a you know friendly touch, uh, is very often appropriate to be able to buffer that response. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I love the phrase, you know, an an empowered refusal. I think that is such a great phrase because I think we think. When we're saying no, we're instantly thinking about disappointing others. If you're afraid to do that and you're afraid up to the point where you're just going to say yes, then you're going to end up doing an awful lot of things you didn't intend to do. Yes, it's so important to remember that an empowered no is about you and it is not a rejection of the other person. Oh, that's great. That's really important, I think. I mean, that's a wonderful concept. And you know, when you think about all the things that through your career or in your personal life that you might say yes to and then regret, there's always going to be some you know, but to be able to just minimize the, those things, I think would probably give you a, a little boost of self-esteem at the same time, wouldn't it? Yes. I mean, if we think about the people who we admire, very often we admire the fact that they have clarity of purpose and yeah. that they are driven by what they care about and that they say no to everything that comes in the way of that. And I think that we all see that in others and admire that. And so it's time for us to start doing it for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it comes across as confidence when it's done in a kind way. It's just that, you know, you know what you want, you know what you're going to do or able to do. And, you know, I think when you try to be all things to all people, whether that's, I know you're a professor of marketing, whether that's in marketing or in, in an interpersonal situation, it's impossible. So you might as well know who you are and what you can deliver, right? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. That's why I think I love your book so much. There's sort of this through line of the way brands should act as well and the way people should act that I really enjoy. So I teach uh, personal branding and I teach uh, in my Women in Leadership class, I use some of these principles that I talk about in the book to help uh, leaders yeah. develop them their personal brand. Because at the end of the day, a personal brand also has to make that promise about what you can deliver and then go ahead and deliver it as opposed to be all over the place, promising all sorts of things and dropping the ball. That's a, I mean, it's a great analogy. And if you're not able to harness saying no in an empowered way, your personal brand is not going to be very strong because you'll commit to things that you're terrible at. Yes, yes. In fact, one of the big reasons why people are worried about saying no is because they're worried about their reputation. And I always argue that is it better to say no 
knowing fully well that you cannot deliver on the ask and and deal with it right away with an empowered no rather than say a yes and then down the road be overwhelmed and not be able to deliver on that commitment so i call it the i call it the house of cards ask i don't know whether you've reached there yeah, in the book yet uh, but essentially this idea that you know you know our time our lives are like this house of cards and every card that we add on it is like an additional commitment and every time we make that commitment if we if that house of cards is this unsteady house an extra commitment makes it more likely that it all collapses yeah. and so i always encourage people to think about you know, every card that you're putting on that house because it's becoming increasingly fragile yeah i mean that is such a great analogy because of the the, you know, it's like overpromising and continuing to overpromise when you say yes and you mean no, then you're going to underdeliver. Your it's not going to go well, and that comes down to your reputation. Yes, absolutely. So by trying to please people, you're doing the exact opposite of what your goal probably is, because because you were afraid to just be honest in the moment at that moment and say I don't do that well or that's not my thing. Yes. You know. Yes. Absolutely. You know, we get in this trap of wanting to be helpful, but no one can be helpful in all things. So that makes a lot of sense. You know, we want to be helpful, but we also have to identify what we uniquely bring to the table to be helpful. So once we figure out what we uniquely bring to the table, we can say yes to those things and no to everything else. So for instance, if someone asks you to do something that you are not uniquely suited to do, all that's going to happen when you say no is that they are just going to ask the next person. And when we think about it, we realize that we are not uh, that special in this domain. Right. We need to be humble enough to realize that someone else can do the job. So if we say no, it's not really that big a deal. You, the person will move on. What we need to say yes to are the things that we are uniquely suited to deliver on. That is core to our brand. Yeah. Wow, that is just... Since I'm speaking your language. You certainly are. <laughs> I mean, that is key to any personal brand work, but that is also key to any brand. You know, a good brand or a great brand knows exactly who they are and what they excel at. And they know what they bring to the table and they don't try to be 10 other things. They try to deliver the thing they do well, the promise they make, and they deliver it well over time, you know, by not trying to be all things to all people. So yeah, that's, it's really great how those worlds just come together so perfectly. So there's one concept in your book that I thought was so cool and you, it's called the art of empowered refusal and it's an acronym, you know, ART and uh, awareness rules, not decisions and totality of self. And I got into this and it was just, I thought it was so cool. Can you speak to it just a little bit? Because I think it's a really helpful framework. So the framework of art of empowered refusal really is how you develop the competencies associated with saying an empowered no. So uh, as, as you just said, A stands for awareness, R stands for rules, not decisions, and T stands for totality of self. So empowered refusal begins by looking inwards, understanding what you, how you want to operate in the world, developing self-awareness, taking the time to reflect on how you want things to go, what you want to prioritize, what are the most important things you need to accomplish 
at the moment and focusing your attention on that so that once you have a crystal clear purpose and vision for yourself, you can use that as a lens to decide what to say yes to and what to say no to. Having done that, you use that insight, that deepened self-awareness to develop a set of personal policies, which are simple rules that we set up for ourselves that help shape and guide our decisions and actions. And once we set up those personal policies, then we can use those as the platform or the infrastructure, if you will, to be able to frame our empowered refusal. And the third competency is the development of body, body language and understanding how the verbal and the nonverbal work together to communicate an effective no response. So your words obviously have to come across as empowered. As one of the students in one of my classes said, it's really hard to say, I don't do this without standing up tall. Yeah. And so, I, you know, it's a really standing up tall sort of phrase. And so your words, of course, are going to come across as empowered. Your body language is going to come across as confident and empowered. But you can use other nonverbal cues like smiling or leaning forward, etc., that can help communicate that no and communicate through your non-verbals that your refusal is about you and not a rejection of the other person. Yeah, I mean, you make it really positive and you communicate the positivity of, of what you'll do and what you don't by being friendly and open. You know, it reminds me of the best times I've ever said no to something is that I've just very honestly said, uh, I can't because I'm not good at that. That's not what I do. You know, and that's the, it's sort of saying it a little differently, but that the ability to say, I don't do that because I don't do it well, but I'll help you find someone, I can make a referral to someone that does do that, you know? And if you, uh, you know, if you tell someone anytime you deliver a message, if you do it and you feel shamed while you're saying it or you feel like you're doing something wrong, then there's this strange information that they're getting that you're saying something, but you don't feel good about it at all. So it's really about owning. It's owning who you are, right? Absolutely. And I think our nonverbals are extremely powerful in leaking information that is inconsistent with what we truly believe. So we might be saying something, but our body says the opposite. You don't come across very consistent in your position. Yeah, you really don't. And so why do you think it works so well? You talk a little bit about like the authentic, concrete wins over, you know, sort of the wishy-washy sort of language. Can you talk about why this works so well for people? Absolutely. So first of all, this is driven by research. So it's been shown in multiple scenarios in the lab and in the field. So this is not something I came up with. It is something that's grounded in theory and in research. And both the theory and the research would point to why this works. People respond to authenticity. People respond and respect people who are themselves, who walk the talk, who speak truth to action. And so I think that that basic human response to pick up on, is this person true to what they are saying? And that's authenticity. Are they being true to what they are saying? Are they able to deliver on what they promise? Are they, be, uh, are they communicating from a place of, uh, of 
empowerment and a place of truth and a place of honesty. I always say that people people uh, pick up on trust from both the head and the heart. So when you trust something, it's not only that your brain has to trust it, your brain and your heart. So your head and your heart respond with trust. Right. And so when you come, when you say an authentic no that stems from who you are, the other person responds with their brain and their heart. And they respond and pick up on the fact that it's an authentic yes. When you say, I have a policy about this, or this is my rule, that I have laid out for myself, people respect that and respond to it favorably. Yeah, that's really, that's so powerful. And I think it's really a positive message for people. And I think you do get much better responses than you think you would. You know, when you when you communicate with a smile and you have confidence in what you do and don't do, I think it really works. And, you know, another side of this that I thought of while you were just explaining that is that, say, you know, in sales, like I'm a consultant and if I don't have a solution for someone, I will just tell them. But I've seen other people who are either consultants or in sales of some sort. That's, I think, why we resent being sold something, because it's not authentic. You know, I think in this day and age, you try to help somebody if you actually can. And if not, tell them the truth that you can't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this this general idea that you know, you, what you want to do is create value. As a marketing professor, I strongly believe in creating value in any interaction. And you create value by, by benefiting the other person and giving them or finding a match with what works for them. Uh, and so whether it's developing a product or saying yes to, to something that someone is asking, are you going to create value with this interaction? And sometimes you've created greater value by saying no, because you have benefited both yourself and the other person by not engaging in that uh, request. Yeah, that's really powerful stuff. You know, you mentioned something just as you were talking that is a part of your book that I just love. And it's you cover this section about different types of asks. And I think it's fascinating because, you know, as people are listening to this or they start reading your book, I think they're immediately trying to process how does this happen to me? What is it that I'm responding to or that I get asked that I instantly feel like I have to say yes to? So can you go through a couple of these? One of those, the, the pass the salt asks and the bake your famous lasagna asks. These are so fascinating. Can you go through a couple of these? <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to. Uh, I had a lot of fun developing this model yeah, because one cool. of the things that people kept asking me was, what do, how do I decide what to say yes to and what to say no to? And to me, it really boils down to two key facets, which are the two dimensions of the model. The first facet is what you have to do. What is the effort that you have to put in, in terms of time, energy, and other resources? So what is the cost to you? So that's one dimension that you need to consider. The other dimension is how much benefit is your action going to give to the other person? How much do they need you, specifically you, uniquely you, to be able to do that? So benefit can be high and low, cost can be high and low. The uh, pass the salt asks are high benefit to others and low cost to you. Right. 
And essentially, if you think about it, you know, imagine you're at a dining table and there's a salt shaker sitting in front of you and someone just asks, can you pass the salt, Vanessa? And of course, you don't really, it's no effort on your part at all. You just pass it along the table. And it might be a game changer for them because they obviously needed salt for their meal. So for me, pass the salt asks, which are very low cost to me, but hugely beneficial for others, might be things that I would say yes to. Now, I also caution in the book not to fill your day with pass the salt yeah, right. asks. Not do only those. Because if you land up doing a whole bunch of things that are just low effort for you and high benefit for others, you might not have the most fulfilling life. The most dangerous ask, so the worst ask to get caught in, where you land up resenting the other person tremendously, are the bake your famous lasagna asks. They are ask where you are, you are requested to put in a whole bunch of effort for something that is going to have a very little impact. So essentially, it's like a friend hosting a party, a potluck party, and asking you, hey, Vanessa, you're so good at baking lasagna. Why don't you bake that famous lasagna of yours and bring it to your, the party? For those asks, you have to pause and really figure out a way to say no politely. Those are high cost to you because it's very tedious to to bake a lasagna. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> and it's not going to make a difference yeah. whether you took the lasagna or bought a party tray. I think it's important for us to use uh, a lens of cost and uh, cost to us and benefit to others to be able to filter which ask do I say yes to and which ask do I say no to. Yeah, I think we get caught in those bake your famous lasagna asks because there's this seed of recognition in it. You know, there's this seed of like, you're good at this and I like that. And we want it. We yes. feel good and we want to say yes. And if you don't slow down, all of a sudden you're, yeah, you're baking a ton of lasagnas and spending your whole weekend slaving over, you know. And you resent the yeah. other person to no end. Right. I mean, I know people who have said to me, I spend so much time doing stuff I didn't want to do and half the other half of the time resenting the fact that I'm doing it. <laughs> That's no way to live. <laughs> and that is sad. It is. That's no way to live at all. So you, you also talk about a hero's journey, Ask. Can you talk to me about that? Because that's, of course, being in the field I am. And this is my favorite, so. Yes, and the hero's journey asks are the asks where you do say yes because these things are effortful and they have impact. And there are those opportunities if we make space for them. If we have a calendar which is not filled with bake your famous lasagna asks, we can actually undertake the hero's journeys. And those are really how we make a difference in the world, how we, are, how we can impact the world in ways that are positive. But even for those asks, you need to do your due diligence. You need to ask the questions. Is this, in fact, a hero's journey ask? Because sometimes, you know, hero's journey ask can be masked yeah. or, or, or be, uh, you know, Lions in sheep's clothing. You're a baked lasagna and a hero's journey. You've got journey. exactly. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, you think you're doing this great big thing, and all of a sudden you find yourself baking another lasagna. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's hard. It's hard to tease through this stuff. But I love the models that you give people. You know, it's going to take experimentation. It's going to take working with it. And you explain that in the book, too. One of the things I think people would want to know from your book, and, I, you know, there's so much in it. You're going to have to buy it and go through it because it's such a good book. Anyone listening, this book will help you. But one of the things that's in there that you talk about a little is saying no to your boss. 
I think that's something that people have a lot of problem with. So what are your thoughts around that? So I think that in the day and age that we are in, we are all knowledge workers and we essentially are hired to bring our knowledge to the table and to bring our expertise to the table. And so uh, if, you're, if, you're jo- if, you're, if your boss asks you to do something that is part of your job and you know that it is part of your job, then you got to do it yeah. because it's your job. It's what you signed up to do. Unfortunately for us, there are so many things in organizations that are not part of somebody's job responsibility. Things like uh, organizing a lunch for everyone in the office, organizing a retirement party, organizing, uh, you know, or picking up coffee on the way for a meeting. These are what the literature call non-promotable tasks. These are tasks that have got nothing to do with your job description, not what you were hired for, but stuff that needs to get done. So the non-promotable task problem is a problem that women especially get trapped into. So women are significantly more likely to be asked to do non-promotable tasks. And they also say yes to those non-promotable tasks more often. The research shows that women are 44% more likely to be asked to do a non-promotable task, like clean out the break room refrigerator or pick up donuts. Doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. And they are 76% more likely to say yes to those tasks compared to 51% of men who would say yes to that task. So understanding what your job is and knowing what is the purview of your job and what you are going to be promoted for, what is going to help advance your career, knowing that, having that knowledge and focusing your efforts on that. Having said that, everyone needs to take turns to do the non-promotable tasks. If you're the one who is always organizing the Christmas party, then you need to put a stop to that. But if everyone has turns, which is, I think, the fair way to do it, right? If you've got somebody who, if that tasks that need to be done, that everyone has to kind of pitch in and do. That's that's what a team is about, not one person carrying the burden of these non-promotable tasks. And so with the women that that I coach and teach, I very often talk about strategies by which they can navigate ways, uh, uh, negotiate how this can become a team effort rather than them taking on the responsibility for these tasks themselves. That's great. You know, and it reminds me of where we started this conversation talking about, you know, doing the things that are core to your personal brand and what you stand for and what you're actually good at. You know, if you were hired to do a job, but you're ending up organizing the Christmas party all the time, you're not exactly doing what your core skill is unless you were hired to be the Christmas party coordinator. It just kind of comes back to that of like, what? why am I here? What value do I really add? And then gauging things against that. Yeah, and that's the power of that self-awareness yeah. and being able to take the time to reflect and think about, you know, am I adding value where I am best suited to add value? rather than distracting myself doing all these things that everybody wants me to do, but I'm not doing what drives me, what's aligned with my own purpose, my own skills, my own talent. I think you do yourself a disservice when you do that. Yeah, I agree. 
let me let me just ask you a couple of questions about you real quick. Uh, what would you right now? You know, you have this book out, and all this stuff is going on. What would you name this chapter of your life right now? Impact. That's great. I've thought a lot about, uh, you know, emerging from being in academia to become much more of an engaged scholar, much more of a public professor, if you yeah. will. Someone who has an impact on the world with their work. Well, you're doing a hell of a job on that. So I have one last question for you, and I'll let you go because I know you have a busy day, and this conversation has been so much fun today. Um, so last question, if you could give your younger self any advice, knowing what you know now, what would it be? Do not be afraid of the empowered no. That's, that's great. Because if there's anything I should have done on my 24th birthday was to tell my boss, hey, hold on a minute. I have a party to attend. Can I come in early tomorrow morning and drop that fax off at your desk? Because honestly, it would have made a no difference at all. She would have come in and the fax would have been on her desk, whether I put it the previous night or early the next morning. And the ability to stand up for yourself and say an empowered no, if only I had learned that when I was 24. Oh, that's great. Well, think about all the 24-year-olds that you're helping learn it now. Thank you. you know, so, so it paid off in the long run. <laughs> it certainly did. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I had an absolute blast talking with you. And I, I think your book will, you know, I know it's already out there and doing well. I think it got so many incredible reviews from people like Daniel Pink and so many respected people in the marketing and, and communications area. I think anyone can benefit from this book. I think we all can work on the skills that you teach us in this book. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoy chatting with you about it. Yeah, this was fun. We'll do it again someday. Ah, of course. <laughs> Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story. Brand Story.